This is Josh Olswich. I'm here with CJ. We have Daniela, a young blood Bitcoin developer. I'm going to be talking to her today. This is the Bitcoin bottom line. CJ, it's been a few weeks. What's been going on, my man? Well, lately I've been traveling a lot. I was at Bitblock Boom recently, which is a all Bitcoin conference. Um, it was a fantastic Bitcoin only Bitcoin maximalist get together. A lot of people were excited about eating brisket, talking about, you know, what's going on in development stuff. Um, a, a lot of people are talking about uh, tarot and what's going to happen there. A lot of layer two conversations, lightning. There was a chess championship. The developer formerly known as Rockstar from Strike actually won the chess championship. That was pretty cool. But today, listen, let's, it's not about me. It's about Daniela Brozzoni. Okay. And what she is going to talk to us about is her path as a very young developer in the Bitcoin space, crazy resume, uh, brains, Blockstream, all sorts of other stuff. Uh, Daniela, welcome to the Bitcoin Bottom Line. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So yeah, hi everyone, I'm Daniela. And as CJ said, I'm a developer. Um, at the moment, I'm working on Bitcoin Dev Kit, also, also called BDK which is a library for building wallets. So you might have seen some wallets, you know, you might have tried some. Um, they all kind of share the same things. They all do the same stuff, you know, they let you receive Bitcoin, they let you send Bitcoin. So a couple of years ago, a guy just said, okay, look, why are all the developers, every time they have to create a new wallet, why are they keep rewriting the same stuff, the same code for generating an address, for sending money? Let's just have a library that just includes all that logic for them, which by the way, is quite complicated, um, especially if you start working with multi-policy wallets where you have like two of two, for example, or even more complex stuff. It starts to be complicated on the developer side. So yeah, BDK was born and uh, now I'm funded by Spiral. I have a yearly, uh, one year long grant uh, to work in BDK all day, basically. That's cool. So uh, one question I have to start us off, just staying on the wallet thing for a second. Can you tell us about the BIP that basically uh, interchanges the QR codes between Lightning and on-chain? As I know that's something that a lot of people are talking about. Uh, there's basically some people that want to be able to have one QR code generated and then the software, you know, the, the hot wallet would then recognize that when sending it. But I mean, like everything we do in Bitcoin has a cost, not just a solution, right? So how do you personally weigh the ease of use versus the security or, you know, the specificity of uh, address changes and stuff like that? Yeah, I think one thing everyone notices when they start studying Bitcoin is that it's really complex. There are a lot of parts moving around. And now there's also Lightning Network. It wasn't there when I started uh, studying Bitcoin, but now it's there and it's even more complicated. So yeah, I think that in the future we'll have uh, different wallets for different needs. So for example, the really, really basic, let's say, user that doesn't need to know how to use Bitcoin, uh, they can just have some kind of QR code. I, I have to admit, I really haven't read the bit, <laughs> but you know, uh, they can just have one QR code and then the wallet just decides everything. Um, that's still tricky on the UX side because how do you explain to the user that maybe they're going to pay 
less than one cent for the fees and maybe they're going to pay two euros that's that's not something easy to explain and there are a lot of ui and ux problems like that in bitcoin um but yeah for the basic user i hope that our friends designers will uh, will just find out something to just explain to them look sometimes you have to pay more because uh, you need to go and change for the more advanced users, I think it's really better to, to just have different QR codes or at least uh, to make sure that the user knows if it's doing an on-chain payment versus a lightning one. Because, you know, some advanced users uh, that understand uh, all the pros and the cons of on-chain versus lightning, they might just want to say, okay, um, I'm okay with waiting one hour for this payment, so I'll just send it on-chain versus no, look, this is just a coffee. I'm okay with paying a bit more fees maybe, or even opening a new channel, which costs a lot of fees for doing this payment. So, you know, it all depends on the, the kind of user that will need to use the wallet. And um, we'll obviously always have users that just know different stuff. So I suppose that in the future, we'll have some wallets that are just super basic and some that are just advertised as you have to use it only if you're an advanced user and you understand what you're doing. Do you think most of the transactions are going to shift towards Lightning? Um, you know, so I'm thinking like maybe Lightning needs like these simplified wallets, which to me are still quite like clunky and maybe not the easiest to use, even for like somebody who's been in it, right? They're pretty hobbyists still. They're not, they're straightforward-ish, right? To some degree. So yeah. Uh, how do you think that's going to change development? You know, do you think we're going to see like your focus is Bitcoin, not lightning, right? So you're, yes. you're trying to like introduce better UI or better code, right? Just the general library that people can use for Bitcoin. Um, do you think Bitcoin's going to see like less development because all of a sudden here's lightning and it's seeing more transactions, right? I mean, I think that most of day-to-day -day transactions will shift to Lightning because if you have to pay a coffee and you don't have enough liquidity to pay to, to your coffee guy, um, then you can just open a channel to him because anyways, he's your coffee guy. So you're going to pay him three times a day. A Opening coffee. a channel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Opening a channel will still be an unchained payment, obviously. But, you know, not every single payment will go on Lightning. So when you have to just move your 10 Bitcoins that you have just in case there's an, an emergency or your, you know, big UTXOs, your huge funds, you're not going to move them on Lightning. So still, they will still need to have cool Bitcoin wallets, especially that they can have complex policies on your funds. So for example, if Bitcoin will go to a huge price and i didn't know if it will but if it will most of the people in bitcoin at the moment will be extra rich and we probably won't be okay with having all our funds on a single sig or maybe even on a two of two maybe we'll want to have some um wallet with this magic policy where i can spend my by myself but if i don't spend in 10 years then my relatives can spend because that means I'm probably dead, okay? So all these complex policies, you can't really do them on Lightning. Um, so yeah, I think single SIG wallets that we use just for paying coffee on chain 
yeah, those will disappear, but will appear a lot of extremely complex wallets for just storing uh, funds in the long term. So one of the things that's most fascinating about Bitcoin is based on the skill of the code, right? I mean, the skill of the coder, I should say, or the developer, you could come up with personal solutions, like you're saying, almost like a legal, like a legal document with your family to say, hey, listen, I have to check in every 90 days. If I don't, then some of my Bitcoin is going to sort of be an inheritance that's going to get distributed to this other thing. And you could create sort of with creative people, uh, hypothetical scenarios where a lot of different things could happen. And I think at some point, those will become a de facto version of the way we do probate in America to say that if someone passes away, then their goods are held in a, you know, thing and a trust and it kind of funnels down to they get to the right people. The only challenge with that, I guess, is you almost have to have it so nobody knows what your plan is for distribution, right? Because then someone could game it. One of the places that I store my Bitcoin, that's a multi-sig vault. And then uh, every 90 days, I have to check in and do like a key check to make sure that I'm, you know, still in possession and control of those signing devices. But that, I mean, I think that's like, that's where to me, people talk about Bitcoin as you're going to be your own bank. But really, most people are only good at being their own wallet, right? They can spend, they can receive, and that's like very simple. But once you become uh, maybe a vault and then you have to be more secure, then you're adding layers with multi-sig or, you know, more complex locations or, you know, signing signing treaties or whatever. Uh, but to be a but and that's then even beyond that as a bank where then you're talking about policies, lending, you know, like do, like legal documents and things like that, then that that becomes much more complex. So not everybody's ready for that third step yet. You know, I think a lot of people. All three of us are obviously very comfortable sending money, re receiving money on chain. You know, I'm a miner. I've bought mining equipment on chain before. I pay lightning invoices every once in a while, but that's like easy. You have like a, a QR code on your, on your phone, boop, six bucks, three euros, whatever. Um, but then, like you said, you get to the point where you're talking about purchasing a car or a house or something like that because your Bitcoin value has gone up so much. Um, then it becomes a lot more risky to have that on a hot wallet that someone knows that you have that because i think we're there's still a we're still a ways away from that that eventuality but that's what's super exciting is that there's people like yourself that are working to protect the wealth of all of us that are you know bitcoiners across the world and then hopefully making it easier so i guess spiral really to transition spiral is a uh they're a big company right and you're working with them they want to onboard a lot of people Right. So as part of their directive to say, hey, for you to win this grant or win this sponsorship or whatever, we want you working to make it easier for more people to use Bitcoin. Or how does that how does that process work? If you could take us through that a little bit. So Spiral gives different types of grants. Uh, there are designer grants and developer grants. So if you want to help like with the whole UI UX kind of thing and you're a designer and you just want to help onboarding people, um, there are some projects that you can join, you work there. Maybe you just show that you're worthy of the money and then you ask Spiral and you have a chit chat, etc. And I mean, if you're worthy, they'll give you money. And the same goes for developers. So for example, I've been coding on VDK for a while. I did some smaller and some bigger stuff. Um, and then at a certain point, I just, I mean, I knew the project maintainer and he told me, uh, look, we need developers. So yeah, and he basically uh, hooked me up with Spiral and it just said, 
hey, we need developers and she's really good. And I showed that I had commits on the project uh, and uh, I was just capable of doing my job. And so they decided to give me my grant. Uh, another thing you might want to do is if you have some cool idea and some smaller prototype, you might just go to spiral with, hey, I have this idea that will improve Bitcoin UI UX or just help onboard more people or things like that. I don't know, noble mm -hmm. causes. Yeah, you just submit your application and they reach back to you basically. So it sounds like you need bare minimum is like a portfolio of activity, right? To prove like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what you're yeah, doing I mean, clearly, right? <laughs> obviously, yeah, because uh, it's not really an interview for joining a company. So, for example, uh, if you're a dev and you want to, do, to join Google, you have to do literally hours of interviews with them, just solving problems on a whiteboard, etc. Uh, that's not like that with Spiral because it's just a grant. So yeah, you have some kind of portfolio and you just send it to them. And I don't think they would pay someone that is just absolutely unknown, but I don't know. I'm not like in this Spiral team. Uh, I guess, yeah, some kind of form of portfolio is needed. So um, in that regard, though, you've got a really good resume. You've worked for Blockstream, Brains. I mean, those are both companies that I've used before. Uh, I use Brains on my uh, my S9s and my S19s. Uh, so thank you for helping make me more Bitcoin over the years. You know, that's really cool. But you're still so young. So what was the like? You, it's it seems like you've already had multiple steps along the way. Um, and you know, you're talking about having a resume and some of these other things. Like, when did you start? When do, when were you like, hey, I'm going to be a dev? Like, how old were you when you decided to kind of step into that? Well, to be a dev, I was really young. I think like 13 or 14 or something. Um, so basically, <laughs> my dad, he, he didn't study much in his life. Um, but he really likes, like in school, as in he wouldn't go to school. Uh, but he really likes to self-study. So he, he learned by himself how to code and also like how to build stuff with electronics. So when I was really young, he started playing with Arduino, uh, but eventually noticed he wasn't really good at coding because he's Italian, he speaks Italian and coding is mainly speaking English. So it was like, you know, it, it was difficult for him. So one day he just asked me, hey, I know that you speak English. Can you help me with that? And and I had really fun uh, coding with him. At the time I was like 13 or, or something. And uh, and then, yeah, he was like, you should really be a dev when you grow up. <laughs> uh, and at first I was like, nah, that's not what I like. But then I realized that he was right. So yeah, at school I studied computer science as a topic because um, I think the system is a bit different in Italy. And when you're 14, you basically have to choose the topics you want to study. Uh, so I just picked computer science and some mathematics. When I finished school, when I was 19, I already knew a bit about Bitcoin. So I've asked a friend of mine that was already working in Blockstream and I was like, hey, do you know, I mean, any places that might just give me an internship? And it was like, oh, sure this Blockstream. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's how I first joined Blockstream. I just, I see this, you know, we were kind of joking about it a little bit beforehand, uh, but I really do see this as a very Hollywood story. You know, you have like the, the Italian dad 
talking with his hands, uh, building little robots, programming things, you know what I mean? Getting frustrated with the sort of the code in the Italian language, right? And then you're like, ah, papa. And then you like come over and then you like plug it in because you're just like a savant. And then all of a sudden, fast forward and you're like crushing it at all these different levels, working your way up and uh, traveling the world uh, as you see fit. Uh, somehow staying on mission despite being young and, you know, everything else. So I guess that's the thing. Like, I feel like Bitcoin is one of the most important things I do. Um, I get to talk to a lot of people about it. I talk about political advocacy because I feel like there's a lot of places, especially in Europe right now, that they're trying to limit people using Bitcoin because they're coming up with crazy stories about, you know, electricity use and stuff like that. Uh, ironically, literally some of the stuff that you worked on was helping us use a less electricity to mine more Bitcoin, you know, with brains, which is great. But how do you, as a young person, stay on mission? I mean, I'm a I'm a grown up and I got kids, so like I know I know I have to do something. But is it really is it really a purpose thing for you? Is it curiosity? Is it? I mean, you're you're literally like turning the wheels in a way, in your own small decentralized way, of like this massive worldwide revolution in money. Um, does that ever does that impact you sometimes? Is it like too big, or is, does that is that awesome and that's what you're here for? Well, I'd say at first it was 100% curiosity because when I first learned about Bitcoin, I didn't understand all the economic and politics implication. I was just like, this is cool. This is math stuff. This is computer science. This is applied math. I don't know. And it just works in real life. So I'd say at first it was pure curiosity as in I want to know more. Now I understand a little bit more about politics and about economy, just a little bit. And yeah, there's definitely, I mean, right now I definitely feel like I'm helping this revolution. I, I'm, I'm a part of this. I know I'm not like one of the big leaders of the revolution. I'm just a small dev, let's say. Just, yeah, I'm just working on some stuff and I'm hoping to help. Um, the whole thing just go through. So yeah, I'd say now it's, there's still a lot of curiosity because Bitcoin is one of those topics that there's just so much about it. So if you start looking into the computer science kind of thing, the mask kind of uh, side, there's just so much stuff. And every time you learn something new, you notice you can go even deeper. So, you know, I'm still super curious about Bitcoin, but also, yeah, I feel like I'm really helping this revolution. I don't want you to, I don't want you to lose your curiosity because I think what you're saying is so cool and so powerful for anybody listening that you dig into it, you feel at home there, and then you are contributing, right? Those are all really like great things. I think sometimes what happens with a lot of young people is they don't have like they don't have a goal, right? They don't have a, a, a big thing that they're working on. And so they get kind of complacent and they just sort of repeat the process and just kind of live their life kind of left, right, right, left, right. And then they go to sleep and that's it. But people that have a purpose like yourself, you have so much more potential and you can impact. I mean, literally your work could theoretically impact a billion people, right? So uh, no, pressure, no pressure, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure at all. Um, but I would say that like, I'm, I'm, I'm really psyched for you. But what I would say is, even if you become a awesome big time big story developer person right you don't want to let that out there too much because then you know just like the whole then you start dancing in that then you become a target at that point so 
what I would encourage you to do is as you accumulate more Bitcoin, as you become more known in the space, definitely have like plans for how to sort of obfuscate your money and like just, you know, like become like figure out a way to how to sort of fade, fade certain aspects of your of your personality or your, I would say, process so that no one targets you because you're, you know, um, potentially a big deal. I, I mean, this is so cool because like I've got I've got my uh, I have a daughter. She's six and a half. Um, she sees me, you know, like watching mempool and all this other stuff. And we talk about Bitcoin. I explain Bitcoin transactions to her using the, the wood block game Jenga and explain that basically the transactions come through and they sort of add up. And then eventually there's a sort of magic transaction. That's how I explained it. And then the block is finished and then it moves on. And then a new block is built on top of that. And so she, in a way, is starting to get whatever a six-year-old can get out of Bitcoin. Um, but she understands that it's uh, that it's valuable, it's important. And around the house, I try to make her earn sats. So I have like a little wallet for her and I, I send sats to that wallet when she's nice and, you know, things like that. So I don't know. I guess it's just like it's, it's really neat to see, the, I guess, the grown-up version of that, you know, which is you um, working for these awesome companies that I would, I would think are very competitive and a lot of big-time people want to work for. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> Not to put too much pressure um, on you again. But. Yeah. <laughs> and regarding like the whole being a target thing, you're definitely right. I sometimes think, why the fuck did I like start anonymously? Like, why did I even put my name on Twitter and on GitHub? On the other hand, at least in this way, I can just join podcasts and mm -hmm. go on like um, how to conferences and just speak to conferences. So pros and cons, um, I didn't know if it's worth it, honestly, because I do realize it's it's really dangerous. And um, so, for example, I have, um, there are some uh, kind of cohorts to like onboard people to Bitcoin Dev. And the first thing you say is, hey, you can be anonymous. And, mm -hmm. and that's extremely cool for them to say. On the other hand, yeah, at least I can like pray the word uh yeah. around because i can that's the balance yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah. uh because i can still show my face uh, on video and on conferences yeah <laughs> pros and cons yeah there's a lot of people uh in america that have really kind of taken that that pseudonym personality and really taken it a long way and there's other people uh like uh, Gigi in europe who literally he will do podcasts but wearing like a green like suit so you can't see him at all you have no idea what he looks like uh, and i think it's, it's kind of funny then there's other people like me that because i played sports before i became a bitcoin person it was like too late i'm already somebody so uh, i look at it like it gives me an opportunity to stand in the light and like the guy with the cardboard sign and say hey listen bitcoin's legit you should get some you know you should get into it um, and be a bitcoin evangelist or an advocate um, and that, I think that, that gives you a lot of extra credibility because then people are on your side, you know, and then that you have allies and stuff like that. Whereas, um, you know, people, people, people are going to want to work with you, work for you and, you know, give you, I don't know, whatever, whatever you want in terms of like safety or, uh, you know, they're going to want to be your partner on, on projects and stuff like that because you're a real person and you're willing to put your reputation and, and your, your real name out there. So that, that is... But it is tough because you look at those people and you think sometimes, oh, they have it so easy because no one knows who they are. But then imagine living that weird lie every day to say like, 
oh yeah, I'm just I just play video games in my basement. I don't like, and nobody knows what you do. Like you're in the CIA, that'd be very hard. I don't think I could do that. I, Josh, what about you? What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I've sort of lived in both uh, both worlds because previously I was semi anonymous early on. Um, you're, you're location anonymous now. That's your big thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it, that's important, but specifically just like being a known individual and having like your real name out there has definitely helped me uh, get into Bitcoin in a bigger way, I think, um, with companies, with people just like talking in places. And um, I think people on the outside connect with real names more than they connect with somebody's pseudonym, right? Like but Bitcoiners. On Twitter, on Twitter, it could be either, right? That's the Yeah. But like, I don't care. I know I talk to people every day that I've known for six plus years. I don't know their real name. You know, I have no, I have no idea and I yeah. don't care. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but I know people, you know, in the meat space may care about that stuff mm. a lot more and that may change how they view everything. Right. So being known, uh, I think does help in general, uh, even though there's risks, obviously. And, you know, Gloria Zhao, she was, she's a developer mm. that was on our podcast a few weeks ago. And Danielle, I'm just warning you because you might get the BBL bump here. She got like, I don't know if it's promoted, but she's she's like a lead maintainer, right? For for Bitcoin Core now. So, you know. Well, this she guy's... just published something it, like right after right after we we interviewed her, I think she got some of her uh, stuff got merged uh, into the latest update. So really cool. So but... I, I don't I don't want to take credit for that, you know, personally, but I'm not gonna not take credit for that. You know, we were, we were, we were part of that journey. Okay. We were, we were part of that journey. So, um, Daniela, like, how do you, how do you stay, like, how do you manage like your time and stuff like that? Like, do you go to conferences and stuff in Europe or do you travel around or, um, do you kind of just stay low key, low key? Is there something that helps you? I mean, it's very mentally intensive, a lot of energy required to, you know, to do what you're doing. Um, a lot of focus required to like stay attached to the project. How much does it infiltrate your time, you know, when you're not when you're not actually in front of a screen or a keyboard? Um, so I usually go to conferences, but like not every single one. So for example, I've already said it on Twitter, so it's okay to say it here. Um, I'm going to go to the Azores, to the BTC unconference in the Azores in like 20 days. And I'm so hyped about that. And also later in Prague. But there are so many conferences at the moment in Europe. I think in these days, there's Riga. I haven't gone to every single one of them because, you know, it's also a little bit expensive if you have to pay the ticket and the plane and the hotel for every single one of them. And actually, I find myself recharged after conferences. So usually, if I don't go to a conference for a while, then I'm just like oh, yeah, okay, I have to work on this stuff, but I'm not that excited. Uh, but when I go to conferences, I just meet all my friends because, you know, it's been three years ago. Now I can say I have some Bitcoin friends and I just chat with them about all the news and we just, I don't know, dis discuss the new proposals maybe. We just tell each other what we're working on. Then I, I always find myself that... Um, at the end of the conference, I'm tired because, you know, introvert, I'm an introvert, so I don't want to stay with people too long. So I really want to come home and just start coding. So, you know, it's it's a good way of like recharging the batteries for me, conferences, actually. 
Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think you, you get a you get a lot of motivation because you have all that collective energy and then people are I mean, it's a lot of smart people, right? So it's inspiring. And you see what people are talking about, you see what people are working on. And I think sometimes it gives you like a little bit of a little bit of like you click into a new gear. I think of it almost like a musician, you know, that you're gonna come home and you're gonna write songs. Every once in a while you need to go and see other people play that are completely not in your universe, right? To see, to get influence like that. And, and I think that's where that you have to balance out the freshness and the, the sort of the cost of that. And then also just the logistics, if you're traveling, is it, is it worth traveling that far? Is it worth paying that much? The Josh and I recently met up in Nashville uh, for like the Valkyrie uh, all hands thing. And so Josh, I guess my question for you, same thing. Like, did you feel recharged after that? Was that fun to kind of be with everybody and, put faces to names and not just avatars and, and stuff like that. Yeah. For a lot of us, we hadn't actually been in a room together because we're all, you know, for the most part, we're decentralized. We're super remote um, as a group. I don't think there's anybody, maybe there's a couple people who see each other on a semi weekly basis, but in person, you know, we see each other all the time, obviously and, and zoom or whatever, but it's good. I'm also like Daniela, very introverted. So <laughs> uh, limit, limiting that time is key, but um you know, it was exciting to meet everybody, right? We're people, we're, we're humans. We we need that interaction for sure. Um, so yeah, I thought it was great because you, you you get sort of you know body language that you don't get on on Zoom or or wherever. So some people are just really not that great at texting either. You know, if you don't put an emoji in there every once in a while, that it's like it comes across a little bit dark or a little bit stiff. Um, but along those lines, okay. So Daniela, like I live in California. I know if I'm going to try to like orange pill somebody, uh, I have a particular way of doing that. But I, I picture this sort of the Italian lifestyle of, you know, you go get an espresso, you walk around a little bit. Like, where are you bumping into people and saying like, hey, listen, have you heard about Satoshi Nakamoto? Hey, uh, there's only 21 million coins. Um, is it or is it simple like to be like, oh, did you see that thing that the European Central Bank is trying to push on us? Uh, we don't want to eat bugs. We need Bitcoin. Like, how is your... Like, what's your sort of orange pill elevator pitch to, to new people as you're meeting them? Because obviously, at some point, the conversation turns to, I work in Bitcoin, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I usually don't try orange pill people because that works best. So, for example, they ask you, what do you do in life? And I'm like, yeah, I work in Bitcoin, but it's no big deal. And they're like, hey, can you, can you tell me? And I'm like... Yeah, so basically, it's this way of having our own money that the bank can just steal to us. And I try to just, I mean, I'm obviously excited, but I just, I try to avoid spitting facts on them. I just try to, I don't know, if if they have questions, that they, they'll just ask them. And it happens all the time. Yeah, when maybe I'm around with, with friends, I'm at the bar, I meet someone. After a while, they'll just start asking things about Bitcoin. And that's that's so cool, actually, because they always have a lot of questions um, that are a bit naive, but I think very deep. So one time someone just told me, you know, I don't live like in Africa. I have banks. I have Revolut and 26, whatever. I, I have a lot of ways of sending money. Why do I need Bitcoin? Some other time a guy asked me if mining was illegal and I was like, no, it's not, you know, you can do it. Um, so yeah, I always like to see uh, the perspective of the 
noobs of the no coiners. I, I just want to hear their questions actually, because it kind of gives me a peek into the idea of Bitcoin that no coiners have. And I think that's really cool. So yeah, usually I don't do any pitch. I just play it cool. And then I usually end up having some really fun conversations. Maybe sometimes if I drink a bit too much, I might start with like, yeah, because, you know, fuck the banks. But usually, <laughs> usually, yeah, I try to stay moderated and just stay chill. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Because you get to play a little bit coy and then uh, you, you kind of increase the curiosity, which for you, that worked because you were a curious person. So you kind of know that lane really well, right? I like that. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, maybe Josh, maybe we have it all wrong. We just need to be more, more coy and then we can uh, get more curiosity to the whole process. That's, that could be a good, that's a good tool. I like that. I'm going to think about incorporating that a little bit. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's really hard to understand. It's really complex. Are you really sure you want to talk about it? You know? Um, it's not a big deal. It's just just money, you know. That's well, good. even like even that. internally at Valkyrie, I tell people like I care about everything you have to say about crypto, especially the the tradfi focused or the the ex tradfi people, <laughs> like like because I've been in crypto for a long time, and I sort of forget, you know, what it was like to to be, you know, for lack of a better word, to not to be naive about certain things, right, uh, relative to Bitcoin or just anything in general in the crypto realm. So I always tell people, look, like, you know, I care less about what your opinion is, but I care more about what, how you're saying it and like why you want to know the answer to certain things. And like, you know, that's super important because that helps guide me as far as like teaching people and giving them resources to learn about this stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm hundred percent on Daniela's side. I don't come out and tell people anything anymore. <laughs> I just, you know, people are very curious, right? Cause they've only heard the, the headlines, which are sometimes not great, you know, historically, or they talk about price a lot. Uh, so it, it opens up from their end, right? They can lead the conversation rather than me like talking down to them about what, what I think Bitcoin's going to do for the world. Yeah. I had, I had a guy uh, text me today and he's another podcaster, but in the car world and he goes, Hey, you know, I'm seeing Bitcoin dipping a little bit. What should I do? I'm like, listen, man, it's like a savings account. If you can afford to buy 10 bucks, 20 bucks worth all that stuff, then just hang on to it. Like, you know, worst case scenario, you've got money that's on a different wallet than your regular wallet, or it's not an, it's a different type of bank. Right. And he goes, well, you know, I was thinking about buying this other thing. I was like, whoa, hang on. Let's back up a second. Okay. Let's just, why are you doing that? Are you an active trader? Are you really like playing the market or are you just buying and holding? I said, I'm buying and holding. I said, then just buy Bitcoin, dude. Like what's the, like, why make it complicated? You have a regular job. Like, don't, don't try to turn yourself into a, like a, a hedge fund all of a sudden, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's actually, no, you're right. And I was like, oh, it's, uh, trust me, I've been there. So I think that that helps too. And sometimes I think the first thing people want to talk about is price because it is a number and people can understand because it's a, you know, it's a scoreboard effectively. Um, but I, I think Bitcoin's really like an octopus. You know, you're like, oh, I got this thing and you like grab onto it and then seven other arms grab onto you. And that's where you're like, oh, you know, computer science is cool. Like, well, look at what we can code. We can build something. And then all of a sudden it's like, money you know and you're like oh man money's got me and then it's like government and you're like oh man oh wait you know and there's like freedom speech freedom of speech oh man you know and like anti-communism ah and then all of a sudden you're like surrounded by this by this you know eight-legged freak 
Um, and but in that process, in that warm, loving embrace that Bitcoin gives us eventually, once we sort of give into the knowledge, it's just it's really fascinating. Um, the more people I meet in Bitcoin, the more I like Bitcoin and the more I realize that I need to learn more. I'm kind of like your dad was, Daniela, where I love reading books on my own and teaching myself things. And I just I like look at a problem and I'm like, I wonder if I could just do that myself. But still, to me, I have not ventured into the deep end of the pool with coding, despite having a lot of friends that are devs and stuff. It's still it's still intimidating enough. And I know that it's maybe not for me as a 40 year old to try that um, just yet. So I, uh, I I what I need to do is I need to succeed more so I can I can help by, you know, helping sponsor some some of you beautiful people that are out there making Bitcoin more accessible to the world with grants and stuff like that. So I'm just, I'm impressed. I'm super excited uh, for what you're doing. I'm, I'm excited that you took the time to talk to us. I don't know. I mean, Josh, do you have any more, any, any more questions for, for our guest today? She just no, kind of blew my mind. Just, uh, you know, thanks for stopping by. And we need, we need many more people like her in, uh, in, in Bitcoin for sure. You know, just young, hungry folk who just want to, contribute right um Danielle, where should people follow you or do you want people not in a creepy way but where should people <laughs> get updates on your on your work in bitcoin um well mainly uh github because you know that's where devs push their code i uh, know mm -hmm. i'm joking no one stalks people on github as long as i know um mostly twitter i'd say uh so my username is daniela Bruzzoni, and i know it's super difficult for you to right or to pronounce i was thinking of changing it and going half anonymous by removing my surname and maybe i should because it's really tough but yeah maybe twitter and then um if you have more questions um i'm available on discord so i'm in the bdk discord and i usually also help onboarding some people that want to contribute so if you're looking into contributing to bdk uh definitely join our discord and maybe send me a di direct message you'll find me somehow i guess um oh yeah just my email um i think it's all on my website which is like yeah, don't put your don't put your email out there publicly if you don't have to you don't want to get don't want to get spammed by a bunch of my my followers and creeps, you know, from Oh, okay, okay. So <laughs> I remove my email as soon as this call will finish. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah it's just Twitter. No, right? it'll be fine. <laughs> no, you know, one thing though, uh, I would say that I have, so I first signed up for Twitter in like the dark ages way back in the day. Uh, and I ha I never changed my name. And I do honestly feel like my Twitter name is kind of stupid and I wish it was maybe more concise. So if you are going to change it, I would say that you've got a D, a B, an R, a couple Zs. Like you could kind of be like a, you could come up with like a brand name and then you could put like a plus in there or something like that because you're a dev. So uh, like you could be D Breeze Dev or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But, um, you know, think about it because you want to stick with next thing you change your name to. You want to stick with that for like, you know, 10 more years or something like that. So I think long term, low time preference is what we talk about in Bitcoin all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I might consider that because it's really cool. So, well, thank you for the idea. You have the coolest letters already. You got the Z. Like, any, like nobody has Zs in their name. Like, that's a Josh has has two Zs in his name, right? So, yeah, we like I would be going, I would be going by Zs if I had if I had them in my name for sure. Xs and Zs. That's what I like. They're the prettiest letters. So, all right. Well, uh, Josh, thank you for the intro today. Uh, Daniela, thank you so much for your time. We'll be following you on Twitter and GitHub. 
uh, hoping to help support you by shining light on the work that you're doing in Bitcoin. Um, and uh, as always, this is not financial advice. Stack if you want to. Thank you for joining us on the Bitcoin Bottom Line, and we will see you again on the internet.